for something to be infinite. But the reason why it's called infinite banking is because there's so many things you could do. There's an infinite amount of things that you could do with it. It's a way for people to grow wealth outside of Wall Street, outside of the stock market, outside of the control of banks on a predictable and guaranteed basis, and also on a tax-free basis. And it's the use of cash value whole life insurance. What that means is that there's typically three types of life insurance. There's term life, whole life, and universal. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Sari Ibrahim, and today we're talking about infinite banking at really a kind of 101 introductory level. If you've heard of infinite banking, but you don't really know what it is, you don't know how to evaluate whether it might be the right fit or the wrong fit for you, that's what we're digging into today. And personally, I love the question, who is this the wrong fit for? Not just about this particular strategy, but about everything, about what you might invest in, something you might consider is, I think it's more informative to think about who this is wrong for rather than who this is right for. And you see whether you identify with who it's wrong for or maybe who it's right for, right? So that's what we're digging into today and so much more about infinite banking. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, 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 so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. People see your reviews. They think, hey, this person learned something from this show. Maybe I can learn something too. They tune in. And you know what? I see your reviews. I see that you're learning from the show and I see that you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That always gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because that's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to help you guys do. And that's what we're working on every day. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet and you enjoy the show, look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping you escape the Wall Street casino. Once again, our guest today is Sari Ibrahim. We're digging into infinite banking. Without any further ado, here we go. Sari, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself and what you do in the insurance space? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised here. And I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. We are a full-service financial services firm. And then one of our primary niches that we have is the infinite banking concept, also known or referred to as the bank on yourself concept. So that's kind of what we do, our primary route or primary concept. And our we work with a lot of real estate investors who are either syndicators or limited partners in deals or active real estate investors. And we work with clients all over in all 50 states, typically over Zoom and over the phone, which is pretty common nowadays after COVID. And we also have a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. And the show is just like it sounds, you know, thinking like a bank. How can one think differently about money and, you know, save more on taxes, invest more, and kind of have this compounding snowball effect with your money? So that's, and I also do a lot of guest appearances like this. You know, I've done this is probably the 200th guest appearance I've done. So I'm thankful that, you know, I love the strategy. I love meeting people, talking to people about infinite banking and about money. So I appreciate being here. And we could probably dive deeper into infinite banking if you'd like. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of podcast appearances. That's really, uh, really quite something. So for our listeners out there who haven't heard of it, I mean, in my opinion, the in, the term infinite is maybe a little, I don't know, a little, a little fluffy, I suppose, if you will. <laughs> but I know that's kind of the industry term, right? That's what people call it. But just can you give us a, an intro into the strategy for the folks out there who you know aren't aware of what the idea is? Yeah, and infinite, you're right. It's kind of you know fluffy. It's kind of odd. Like, what does that mean, infinite? Usually it's like kind of imaginary term like to mm-hmm. for something to be infinite. But the reason why it's called infinite banking is because there's so many things you could do. There's an infinite amount of things that you could do with it. So kind of like to give like a history lesson, what it is, it was invented about 30 years ago by Nelson Nash. And he introduced this in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So the book gives a lot more context on what the subject is. But Overview, it's a way for people to grow wealth outside of Wall Street, outside of the stock market, outside of the control of banks on a predictable and guaranteed basis, and also on a tax-free basis. And it's the use of cash value whole life insurance. So to kind of give a little bit more details on like what like what that means is that there's typically three types of life insurance. There's term life, whole life, and universal. So term is like just pretty set forward, right? It's five, it's usually five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. There's a start date, there's an end date to it, and it's life insurance only. And then whole life insurance is for your whole life. There's a start date. There's also cash value within the policy. So there's life insurance along with cash value like in the policy. And then universal is in essence, a combination of term and whole life. But for the purposes of understanding like what is infinite banking, it's the use of cash value whole life insurance. Now, it's not the not every whole life policy could do this. It has to be from a special company designed in a certain way. So, you know, there's about 2000 life insurance companies in the US that sell whole life insurance and only about three or four of them could actually do everything we're going to talk about as far as investing in real estate and borrowing and then putting back into your business and doing all these different, you know, creative financial things with it. So that's kind of what it is. It's using cash value whole life insurance for the purposes of growing tax-free money and for the purposes of always having liquidity and a kind of a place to accumulate wealth, you know, because there's so many different places to make money. But we need a place to kind of store it or multiple places to store it. And we have to make sure that those places are safe and not affected by external or economic conditions. Great. Okay. So kind of earlier on, you use the term you know, guaranteed or, or guaranteed return. And as with anything mm-hmm. in life, when we're talking about a guarantee, any guarantee is only as good as the person, people, or party making the guarantee. So in, in this particular context, what is the guarantee and who makes the guarantee. Yeah. So these are typically, as mentioned, we work with about three or four different insurance companies. And these insurance companies have been in business for well over 160 years. They've made it through the Great Depression, through the Great Recession, through COVID, you know, and they'll probably still be in business for you know who knows how long. But the way that they the way that insurance companies function is different from other financial institutions. So typically when you go to your, for example, your local bank and you deposit like, you know, let's just say a thousand dollars in a checking account, the bank takes that money and then they even leverage it and then loan it out to other people at a higher interest rate. So banks are typically, it's called fractional reserve banking. They're borrowing money on money and then lending that money out, which is very, could be very fragile in poor economic times. Like in 2008, a lot of banks went under or were bought and sold and acquired by different banks because of their the structure of how fundamentally they operate. Whereas with insurance companies, it's the opposite of that. So insurance companies are only sitting on cash reserves. They have arguably the most money in the world. There's actually a book called All About Annuities. And the author talks about 
life insurance companies. And if you took all their money that they have in reserves, it would be greater than all of the banks and oil companies in the world combined. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> so if you want to start a business, start an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, the way that insurance companies operate is very different from other businesses. They have reserves. They've always had reserves in place and they typically invest in the bond market and they give out private loans to other financial institutions, like other banks and other um, they even get into real estate syndications where they're loaning, you know, for example, a high rise build, a high rise building that's being built, like in New York City or Chicago, for example, might have like syndications plus borrowed money from a bank plus like a life insurance company might be involved in that too. So they're dealing with typically predictable investments and they have the reserves to back it up. So you, as the client who is purchasing a life insurance policy, you're not just buying it from somebody who started an insurance company yesterday. You're buying it from a company that's been in business for well over 160 years that has the reserves in place to, if everybody died in their pool of clients, they would be able to pay all those death benefits, plus all the cash value loans that they have existing, plus all that's how much you know reserves they have in place. So that's kind of how where the guaranteed part comes in is how do we know it's guaranteed? Well, it's because they've been doing it for well over 160 years through the poorest economic times we've seen. So, okay. So it's the life insurance companies backing it up and they have pretty considerable track records, but what is the actual guarantee that they're making? Yep. So when you start the policy, when you start your whole life policy, you have like kind of two sections, you have your cash value section, and then you have your life insurance section. And the insurance company says that, all right, you know, you're going to give us, for example, $10,000 a year for the next 20 years. Here is an illustration, an outline of the, our projections. We have our guaranteed projections. We'll guarantee you X amount in in cash value growth, as well as in life insurance. And then both of those grow every year. Typically, it's a very conservative rate of return, right? We're not talking anything crazy. It's like 3%, the guaranteed minimum return on the policies. So we'll guarantee you, you know, cash value growth, let's just say 3% every year until you're 121 years old. Even if you're only paying into the policy for 10 years, that's the guaranteed side. The non-guaranteed side is the same as the guaranteed plus dividends. So these companies, as they're you know collecting pools of capital from all these people, they're investing in real estate, they're loaning out money, they're doing all these like creative ways of growing safe money. And then at the end of the year, when they have their profits, they distribute those after their expenses, they distribute those to their policy owners. Now, although dividends are not guaranteed, these companies we work with have been paying dividends for again, over 160 years. They've been paying dividends. So they give those dividends back to the policy owners, and then you have the option of reinvesting those dividends back into your policy. So your policy ends up growing two ways. It ends up going from the guaranteed cash that the insurance company is guaranteeing you, plus the dividends, which aren't guaranteed, but they have a compounding effect when they go back into your policy. So that's kind of how the that's how the policy grows over time. And that's kind of one of the reasons why like somebody should consider this, right? Is that why should I do this? Why should I do a whole life policy, invest in real estate, do all these things? It's because simply your money will grow. It'll outpace any savings account. It'll outpace a CD or money market account. As far as outpacing the stock market, I don't know, right? Because people say the stock market on average grows 10%. But what does that mean, right? Like it, you, know, you can't use averages when you are measuring risk and measuring because if one year you lose 50% and then the next year you gain 50%, you're not back at where you were, right? You still have, you need like 100% to go back to where you were. So the averages don't really matter when it comes to measuring stock returns. But you know, as a real estate investor, I think it's important to think of like having at least one place where you can accumulate wealth that's not going to be affected by anything that goes on. Okay. Okay. So there's this idea out there that you hear on more fire financial independence, yeah. retire early related podcasts of 
term life versus whole life. And a lot of folks are, uh, maybe the, de- the debate, if you will, is term, which is, as I understand, cheaper versus whole life, which is a little more quote unquote expensive. People say buy term and invest the difference rather than whole life and you know do this cash value, infinite banking strategy. What's your stance on that or your response to that idea? Yeah, and you're right, Taylor. Yeah, so that's a, that's an option. Instead of doing a whole life, you could, for example, do a term life policy, typically for much cheaper, right? You know, somebody who is like 40 years old can get a million dollar term life policy, maybe for like $40 a month or something like that. It's really it's inexpensive. And then the difference of that, you would invest in the stock market and then hope that it grows. And then based off of how much the stock market does, over like the next 20 or 30 years, it would outpace what you would have put into a whole life policy. And then your term life policy would expire after like 20 or 30 years. And then you would have enough accumulated in the stock market where you don't need life insurance. And there's a couple of problems with this. Number one is that predictability. Nobody knows what the stock market is going to do right in 20 or 30 years. And then people know that there's going to be losses in the stock market, but yet nobody knows when those losses will be. It's like the way that an actuary thinks in a life insurance company. Like if they had a hundred people, they would say like, all right, you know, 4% of these people are going to die in the next 10 years. They don't know which ones, but they have kind of an idea of the statistics. And the same is true with people who analyze the stock market. They'll say, all right, we're going to have a crash, you know, every six and a half years or every seven, whatever the math is, but they don't know when that's going to happen. Exactly. So there's the predictability of saying, all right, I'm going to, you know, allocate a thousand dollars a month for the next 30 years in the stock market. You don't know what the potential growth is going to be. So that's something that I'm kind of like, you know, from personally, like from a personal perspective, like something that I'm kind of like curious about is how do you, how does one like predict what's going to happen with whole life? You could predict it. And then the other part about that is when somebody positions that, like instead of doing whole life, do term and invest the difference. Is they're implying that it's either you only do whole life insurance or you get involved in the stock market. When in reality, we have a lot of clients who fund whole life policies and then from their life policies, they borrow against them, they leverage them, and then they invest in the stock market or in real estate or wherever they want. So you could have those multiple investments. And that's actually some of the points, that's some of the objectives of using this concept is that it doesn't seclude you from, it doesn't include other investments or it's not a an either or solution. It's a both and, right? Some people even call it the and asset where you can use it alongside other investments. So that's kind of my take on it. And the other problem too, is that it, let's just say you're, you know, you're 40 years old, you do a 30 year term policy. And then 30 years later, you're seven years old. Let's say, and this happens a lot. Let's say that, for example, the stock market crashes at age 70, and then your portfolio drops by like 30 or 40%. And then you needed X amount of money to retire. And then now let's say you go, okay, well, I I don't have enough money now for my estate planning needs. I have to now get more life insurance. But let's say over the years, you're 70 years old, no surprise, you're uninsurable. Not to say that all 70-year-olds are uninsurable, but statistically speaking, you will, as every day you age, you become less insurable in the eyes of insurance companies. So at age 70 now, you want to get a new term policy. You can't qualify for it now. You can't get into whole life. It's the same underwriting. So now you've kind of like, you know, you put yourself in a situation where I guess didn't think it through properly from an estate planning perspective, from a tax perspective, from a risk perspective. And I think this is what people need to look, kind of look at. It's that there's more to it than just rate of return. So that to answer your question is like, you know, with term, by term invested difference, it looks good today. You know, it looks good on paper today, but what, you know, what could it actually do later in the future? Mm, okay. Okay. So I think my biggest question, or it's kind of two questions combined mm-hmm. are who is this 
strategy right for? Like, what is the profile of the person that is kind of the best ideal fit for the infinite banking model? And then importantly, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to push you to answer this one. Mm -hmm. Who is it wrong for? I think who is it wrong for is maybe more informative for, for anything, right? Because no matter what we're talking about, it's not the right fit for somebody. So what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something we do like during our intro calls and financial analysis calls is like we're determining if we're going to be a good fit. So like, who's it right for? It's right for somebody who has a growth mindset, who, somebody who wants to kind of take a different approach and somebody who wants to be kind of unconventional with their money. They want to do things that they were kind of like, not necessarily things that we were taught in school, school growing up. So that's how, kind of the ways that they want to approach this. They also like, you know, I've, I've seen it too, is that from, I guess the 1% improvement mindset, where it's, if you had to improve just, you know, 1% of something you were doing every month or every year, a lot of people intuitively would think, all right, 1%, that's really like not a big difference at all. You know, I'd rather get do a hundred percent difference every year or whatever the case mm-hmm. is, but there are, you know, a small group of people, I think entrepreneurs and people with growth mindset would look at that and be like, all right, you know, that 1% a year difference or 1% a month difference in my personal development in the way I view life and the way I view my business and the way I view money could be a dramatic, could make a dramatic difference. Those are the people we want to make, we want to work with. The people kind of look at the small things and can compound them in the future, I guess. And who's this wrong for? I guess somebody who is just thinking about money from a very short-term perspective, like what's my rate of return going to be this year? That as soon as somebody asks that question, you know, it's probably not going to be a good fit because infinite banking doesn't do that. Infinite banking is not something where you could put $10,000 in today and then six months from now have $100,000. I would recommend they go look at, you know, higher risk investments and things like that. And then obviously talk to a financial professional before you do those things and talk to your tax professional. But that's probably not somebody who's looking for much higher returns in a very short period of time, probably not a good fit. Not to say that we attract people who are looking for low rates of returns. It's just the, the kind of the mindset of thinking short-term versus long-term. Mm, okay. So it's a couple percent difference, but compounded over a long time frame. Say you're looking, starting in your thirties or forties and having that vision toward your seventies and eighties when your situation is you know, completely different, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's all, and it's also about more control, right? Too, because even with the, you know, if I, for example, let's just say I'm a real estate investor, right? And let's just say I actively manage property. So I have, you know, cash flow coming in, you know, the difference between what I'm earning and what I'm spending. And if I'm allocating that to life insurance, right? And I'm building up this pot of cash. And then let's just say, for example, another 2008 happens where like real estate values take a dramatic drop and banks aren't financing anymore. They're not giving out loans anymore. And even if they are, are giving out loans, they're giving loans against the market values, which have dropped, which means that you can get less money against those. And then again, I'm not bashing real estate. I'm just saying what happens in like a worse situation mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because you've been building up this whole life policy, you have these reserves in place that could give you an advantage now. Now you can borrow against these policies and then buy properties at a major discount. You could do things like that. You have more options and more control. You're not on the same boat. So like, like when everything goes down, you're not on that boat as well. You have at least one asset that's not directly tied to all everything that's going on in the market or in the real estate market. Okay. Gotcha. Great. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Sari, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Ready. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah. The best investment I made was when I first became self-employed, I hired like a life coach or business coach and I paid her like $1,400 for like, I think I was like a 10 week session. 
that was the best investment I ever made because it taught me how to think differently about being an entrepreneur and believing in myself. So like I recommend if, you know, do coaching, invest in mentoring. From what I've seen, you get the highest rates of returns when you do those types of investments. So what are one or two maybe major changes, behavioral or otherwise, that came out of that, that changed what you were doing and ultimately changed your results? So number one, rather than thinking, you know, if something will work or not, think, can you believe it will work or not? You know, like, do you, is that something you see working out? And then number two, like really like, you know, think things through, like do the math on it, just take out a piece of paper and like write like option one or scenario one, scenario two, and then just write it out and like, all right, if this happens and that could happen and this, it happens and just like, let it like roll it out and see how far you can think ahead and then make a decision from there. Like think it through. Great. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So the worst investment, this is from my experience, not to say that uh, this this investment I'm going to mention is bad. It's because it's not, right? But it was for me, it was investing in Bitcoin and people have made money in Bitcoin. I'm not bashing Bitcoin, but I guess the way I approached it, I'm not competent with cryptocurrencies. I don't understand that market. So I didn't lose much, but it was kind of just a waste of time, right? It was a waste of kind of opportunity cost had I invested and looked at different places. But yeah, I guess, and the lesson from that is invest in things you understand and maybe even believe in, right? Absolutely. And time is our most scarce asset, not money, not property. It's time. So wasting our time is very important. Great. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, it's definitely surround yourself with the right people. Even surround yourself with people who are way ahead of you, like who are at least 10 or 15 years ahead of you and what you're currently doing. Because subconsciously you become like the people around you, right? The way we speak, the way we think is based off of who we've lived around, who we surround ourselves around. So if you're thinking like a billionaire, it's probably because you've been around billionaires. You know what I mean? So if you want to grow, put yourself in the right rooms with the right people. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, giving us a window into infinite banking and also answering one question in particular that I've kind of always wanted to ask is who is it right for, but more importantly, who is it wrong for? Because I think that helps us learn a lot. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find you on the internet or have a conversation, whatever, where can they track you down? The easiest place is thinkinglikeabank.com. It's the name of our book and podcast. You could actually download the ebook for free, thinkinglikeabank.com. And then you could schedule an appointment if you'd like, or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's all from thinkinglikeabank.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Five stars, if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. 